Welcome to another edition of the Insurance AUM Journal podcast. My name is Stuart Foley. I'll be your host, standing with you at the corner of insurance and asset management. Today, we're joined by Mitch He, Chief Investment Officer of Chesapeake Employers Insurance. Welcome, Mitch. Good afternoon. Very nice to have me and very good to join you today. I have a disclaimer before we get started. Everything we discuss today will be my personal opinions and they do not represent my company's official view. All right, good stuff. Thank you. We'll we'll duly note it and uh, we won't hold you to any of this. Thanks. Okay, so let's get started. So weirdly, you and I have some commonality in that I worked at a place called Missouri Employers Mutual, which was at that time a monoline, monostate workers' comp carrier. And that's the segment that you guys fulfill in Maryland, right? Exactly. Yep. So you know as well. (laughs) It's interesting. I mean, it it would be hard to find a more specialized insurance company than somebody who's writing one line of business in one state. But I know that nobody does it better than you guys do. Obviously, tough investment markets. In my career, I've never, ever had anybody say anything different, right? It's always tough, but there's value out there. So where do you see value in markets today generally? Yes, definitely. Uh, It is, as you mentioned, it's a tough market. Generally, cautiously optimistic about both the equity and fixed income markets in, in this year. But I do favor equities over fixed income a little bit more. With the current uh, Biden administration's coordinated efforts in virus protection, vaccine distribution, and further stimulus or relief package, the U.S. economy is expected to gradually come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Most sectors were enjoying gradual but continued recovery and improvements, although the economic recovery process is expected to be slow and last uh, a few years which actually provides continued earnings growth and support a higher equity market valuation. So on the fixed income front, most bond sectors have recovered and reached their pre-crisis levels, uh, spread levels. I do believe the treasury yield level will be slightly higher later in the year for the right reason, though. Uh, The economy recovers uh, further along, but the yields increase won't be significant, in my opinion. I'm looking for 1.5% on the U.S. Treasury 10-year at the end of the year. I expect the bond market to generate uh, positive returns based on mostly the carry in 2021. Within the fixed income, I do see value in convertible bonds, CLOs, uh, high yield securities to provide better returns. CLOs are a sector that has been very the center of almost every insurance company that's continued to enjoy some nice risk-adjusted yield levels. And high yields should benefit from continued recovery similar to equities with spreads continue to tighten. Uh, convertible bonds, which I want to emphasize, which is an asset class that is not widely adopted by insurers, probably for a number of reasons, such as limited total market size and possibly negative book yield accounting. Uh, however, insurers, uh, for those that do not care too much about its book yield levels or you know, the ones that have uh, 
that want to focus on total returns for their reserve, at least their reserve portfolio should definitely give the asset class a serious consideration given its treatment as bonds, uh, downside protections, and equity-like potential returns. It's interesting stuff. I mean, you have just recently put a LinkedIn post out called Market Crash, Bitcoin, and EVs. What I gathered from that is that as an institutional asset allocator, you're focused on megatrends. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, definitely mentioned market crash, but I don't think a market crash is uh, imminent. I do think that, as I mentioned earlier, I'm optimistic about both the bonds and equity market placing this year. So it makes sense to make for institutional investors a focus on the longer mega trends for fixed income investments. Insurers are generally buy and hold investors. So it's critical to have the long-term big picture in mind and avoid declining sectors or industries that are on the wrong side of the trend. And this is should against uh, insurers target duration of the portfolio. For example, I mentioned in my LinkedIn post that the fossil fuel industry or traditional internal combustion engine or the ice cars makers are on that in that group and on the decline for the longer term. On the equity side, to efficiently deploy capital within a limited exposure in these risk assets. And with a RBC-aware investment approach, it makes sense for insurers to focus their risk exposure on strategies that can either generate income with growth potential or generate significant higher expected total returns, looking at like more than 15% analyzed. I favor all kinds of technologies, which uh, have been the driver of the global economic development and the equity market growth for the last decade. And I expect it to continue to be the driver for decades to come. So I actually believe investors nowadays should have a technology framework in place to guide their sector weighting or even treat technology as an asset class in a diversified portfolio. It's interesting that at its most basic form, right? Insurance companies get paid to take risk on both sides of the balance sheet. You're trying to figure out where that makes sense. Where are you getting paid, right, to take risk? So with that as a backdrop, what's the biggest risk facing insurers today? Yeah, so increasingly competitive and efficient insurance market Investment income and returns uh, definitely play an important complementary role in most insurers' financial health. As investment professionals, as I would say, the biggest risk of facing insurance from an investment perspective is the prolonged low yields, very narrow credit spreads right now in most bond sectors, combined with an existing regulatory framework or the RBC that um, essentially require insurance companies to invest predominantly in investment-grade fixed-income securities, uh, which we know generate little investment income these days. So if rate decline further or stay at at the current low levels for for longer time, insurers who have relied upon higher book yields from older holdings will see continued 
but a much rapid deterioration on their fixed income book yield and shrinking investment income. Or they have to offset that investment income decline by investing even more capital into lower yielding fixed income securities or taking on more duration or credit risks. If rates rise quickly and unexpectedly, insurers, especially public insurance companies, will see their fixed income portfolio market value suffer. Additionally, credit loss uh, may develop in their non-core portfolios, such as high yield bonds and equities, would also see market value losses in that case. So given that as a backdrop, how do you see regulation impacting your ability to manage those risks and still achieve your investment objective? I don't have any easy, I don't have any easy questions today, Mitch. <laughs> the easy ones come later. These are the hard ones. And then I swear the next one will not be this awful. So <laughs> sorry. <Go ahead. laughs> this is a very good question. I enjoyed the, uh, you know, the dialogue and conversation. So we all know regulations and limitations exist for a reason. Right? The uh, heavily regulated insurance industry were financially very sound in the latest COVID-19 pandemic and, the, and also the last you know, great financial crisis of 2008 with the exception of AIG, which stepped out of its uh, core insurance into derivative underwriting back then. We also see banks as uh, troublemakers in the 2008 GFC, weathered the current COVID-19 crisis very well. And at least the banks as a sector did not become a systematic risk for the market. I attribute that positive performance in the crisis by banks to the improved regulations such as Dodd-Frank after the 2008 crisis. However, insurance companies, especially those with um, longer tail liabilities such as life annuity insurers or workers' comp insurance companies in the PNC camp uh, could face a very difficult investment environment in the next few years given the continued erosion of book yield and um, historically low yield level. At the end of last year, about one-third of the global investment-grade market was in negative yield territory, although the Fed lowered its federal funds rate all the way down to zero at the onset of the crisis. We understand the Fed does not want to get into the negative rate territory. However, we know that it's never say never. As investors, we have to prepare for such a scenario. So I do encourage and welcome regulators and rating agencies to actively plan for and join this kind of discussions. When the U.S. interest rate Japanese and dip into negative zones, uh, one day like uh, its counterparts in Japan and Europe, I don't know what impact it really actually have on the global capital market as most of uh, risk assets under the modern capital assets pricing model, the CAPM, are priced with a positive U.S. risk-free rates. I believe the insurance asset management regulatory framework will need to reform and adapt to the changed investment landscape that we are in today and we will be facing, especially in the next uh, couple of years. As an industry, insurance investment professionals including asset owners, asset allocators, and investment managers should start to engage more active and constructive 
dialogues and brainstorming with regulators on how the current RBC framework can be tweaked uh, to reflect the true risks in both uh, fixed income market and equity market, and whether limitations on, you know, for example, on foreign exposure should evolve in an increasingly globalized investment uh, market. So right now we've talked a little bit about low rates. You know, we know that's been the case for a long time and it's, it's likely to continue, as you mentioned. So we see fund flows into private markets versus public markets to pick up the spread related to liquidity risk. And I guess the question is, what do you see for the future of public versus private markets over the next, you know, the near and I guess the intermediate term? Yeah, just um, definitely there's a lot of institutional investors out there uh, have uh, capacity to take on, you know, additional liquidity risk, uh, such as insurance companies, especially the longer tail insurers, uh, longer tail liability insurers. So I do think that uh, the private market going to continue to offer different kinds of investment opportunities. I see a continued move towards more allocations by institutional investors like insurance companies to private market, including alternatives and other private credit investments, things like that. I, I do think the private uh, going to continue to grow. You're right. Only workers' comp insurance. When you and I prepped for this call, we became workers' compensation insurance geeks together. And, <laughs> uh, and, and I said, workers' comp is a long tail line of business. It has a substantial exposure to medical inflation. And I said, can you hedge it? How do you hedge it? What was your answer to that question? Are you able to hedge medical cost inflation? Definitely. The insurance company can be uh, proactive and think a little bit out of the box in terms of hedging risks embedded in the liability side of their uh, balance sheet. Uh, works comp insurers, such as um, us Chesapeake employers, uh, can hedge the medical cost inflation economically, not one-to-one, but economically by investing in equities, focus on healthcare technologies and healthcare solutions. About a dozen years ago, our current CEO, Tom Phelan, championed such a strategy, actually, which have turned out to be a very nice, long-term successful story for us. It generated over 15% analyzed returns since inception and returned uh, 50%, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> last year in 2020. This is definitely, in my view, is a long-term cornerstone strategy for investors like us that has medical inflation exposure. If Tom Phelan is listening to this podcast, I'd like to give him my best. I've known him for many, many moons ago when... Uh, Back when uh, I was less gray and the earth was still cooling. so uh, Great. Yeah, definitely. I will let, let him know. <laughs> so just a quick turn, kind of the back end of this thing, right? You did not have a traditional career path to becoming an insurance asset management professional. What was your career path? How did you get here? Here's the reason I ask. I teach a lot of younger people listen to these podcasts I think they benefit from hearing from people who have been there and done that, and their original plan might not have been exactly that, how it worked out. So what was your career path? Great, great. Yes, definitely good to know that you are teaching on the side as well. So actually, last year, I also went back to my alma mater, University of Illinois, and uh, shared some of my experience with uh, with the student there. So actually, it's 
uh, I believe you can tell I have a Chinese accent. So I, I, I was um, made in China and refurbished in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I was born and lived in Wuhan, China until I was uh, 23 years old. So in the past, I always joke with my friend before the pandemic, I, you know, people knows about Beijing, Shanghai. They don't know where's Wuhan, what is Wuhan. But now I don't need to explain much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good point. It's a good point. Well, don't worry. I, I'm from Missouri, so we don't we don't ever bring up accents on this show. <laughs> <laughs> so, by actually, uh, I had my undergrad uh, study in electronics engineering from a local university in Wuhan, and you know, I, I always think my career path is somehow somewhat uh, reflect the economic development in China back then. You know, twenty, thirty years years ago. That's really not a financial market like the public capital market exists uh, in China. I believe that's start to develop while I was in college. So actually, I take my family's advice to study electronics engineering, but I found out that I that's not really my interest. Uh, but I worked uh, about three years in different uh, cities in China in marketing and sales role in, within the IT and telecommunication sector. While I was working. I developed interest in business and investments, and so decided to come to the U.S. and pursue my master's study in business. So I pursued two master's degrees, focused on both investment and accounting at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, as a graduate of the MBA program in 03 and another master of accounting in 04. So my first job on Wall Street was in investment banking, private equity, capital formation, reverse mergers, actually, which is the way for blank check companies or SPACs to merge with an operating company. And SPACs has come back into favor these days. So that was with a boutique merchant bank investment firm for about six years. So it's a great experience for me. It was later on acquired by another BDC, and right now the firm no longer exists. But I do kept a very good relationship with the founder and the partners at the firm, so we do a chat from time to time over the phone. And then I stepped into insurance as a management when the reverse merge business was out of favor back then after the financial, a great financial crisis. It was a great transition, which taught me a lot about uh, managing investment assets for both life annuity companies and the PNC insurance companies. I worked there for five years as a director of investments for uh, the company's Horace Mann insurance companies, which is a public uh, traded multi-line insurance group based in Springfield, Illinois. And my wife and I had two kids in Springfield. And when they start to grow a little, we wanted to move to an area that uh, offered a little bit more weekend activities. So I fortunately got a nice opportunity to join my current employer in Baltimore, Maryland, six years ago, actually. It's uh, almost it's literally six years because uh, I joined in January 2015, I believe, as its chief investment officer. And I'm really loving it. That's cool. It's good to see you join it. I, I know it's a good group there. So last question. You mentioned you got uh, your, your two masters at the University of Illinois. So I'm not going to ask how old you were, but I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to phrase it like this. So there you are. 
you're walking across the stage on graduation. You've got your cap and gown, your mortarboard on, you got your tassel on, and you're looking good. And you go across the stage, and the president of the college sticks his or her hand out, and they shake your hand, and there's a little quick picture, and off you go, and you're all excited, and you come down the stairs back off the stage, and you run in to Mitch He today. What do you tell your newly minted MBA self? Yeah, I would say that, you know, be passionate, be curious and proactive, enjoying both work and life, kind of need to have some fun in doing things, uh, read some books and talk to experienced people and learn from them, you know, maintain your integrity all the time, be a team player and try to help others out. Actually, and there's a good quote that from the uh, What It Takes, which is a book that written by uh, Steve Schwarzman, the chairman and co-founder of Blackstone, he said that uh, everyone has dreams, do what you can to help others to achieve theirs. So I, I think that's a great quote I want to share with the younger me. <laughs> that's good advice, man. Listen, thank you for being on. It's been a real pleasure. It's really been great to have you. Great. Nice talking to you. You too. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Mitch He, Chief Investment Officer at Chesapeake Employers Insurance. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your ideas for future podcasts. Please email us at podcast at insuranceaum.com. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the Insurance AUM Journal Podcast.